What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of So How'd You Get Here? I'm one of your co-hosts, Angelo. And I'm Tony. Welcome to the show. If this is your first time uh, listening in, um, we are a podcast uh, that dives into backstories. We want to know um, where someone started, uh, how, what it took to get where they are, did they get there? And um, today, we have a composer and producer. He's worked on Will and Grace. He's worked with Beyonce. He's worked with Katy Perry. He's got a lot of credits we're about to get into. I would like to welcome to the show, and I'm going to ruin your name. I'm sorry, Scott Eisnogle. Yes, that's uh, that's a very good uh, pronunciation of it. Yes. Oh, perfect. Correct me. I, I, I can't read past a third grade level. I would like to know how to say it correctly. <clears throat> well, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where do you want to take sort of the traditional approach, uh, which would be, it's, it's an Austrian name. So, it, uh, you know, you could say Eisenogle or Eisenogli. Oh. But, uh, but uh, my parents, my family, we kind of go in the way of Eisenogle or Eisenogle or Eisenogle. So. Got it. What will make your mother I, most proud? I, I think Eisenogle is a good... Is Perfect. A good, uh, Scott Eisenogle. <laughs> That's what we're going with. Yes. Uh, Scott, thanks yes. for coming to the show today. I appreciate you. Sure. Thank All you. Right. Thank you for having um, me. So you are from Iowa. I, and we're in LA now, so yes. there's a little bit of a distance between those two places. And I would Let's like to know the dots. what connects those two dots together. Well, uh, as far as Iowa goes, I only went to school uh, in Iowa. Uh, okay. Uh, but the reason why I went to school was because of my father, who also went to school there, and um, uh, he uh, just suggested it as one of the colleges when I was looking uh, at schools and such back in the day. And um, I, had also, I had also been there even before I was even looking at schools, and I just kind of fell in love with the place. But, mm-hmm. you know, I did my due diligence and looked at different colleges. I was, I was living in northern Virginia at the time. My dad was working at the Pentagon, so we just kind of lived outside of D.C., and I was looking at, you know, a lot of typical East Coast-type places. I'm sorry, I'm not going to gloss over the fact. Mm. Did you say your dad worked at the Pentagon? Yes. yes so are you actually an undercover spy masquerading <laughs> as a composer? How did you guess? No. Okay. <laughs> Please um, don't have me killed i'll vote for whatever you want yeah no my dad was my dad was uh you know uh uh for for terms that people can understand he was very uh, successful in the job that he had he was a public affairs officer and he had worked in different you know bases and such uh, around the world and that was one of his stops was to work for uh colin powell when colin powell was the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff wow yeah all right, so you had a, a shadow that you grew up in that you had to make your own. You had to make your own mark. Uh, yeah, totally. And uh, you know, I, I I was following in the footsteps of you know my dad, and I grew up around the military and military life, and moving all sorts of times as a kid. Went to three high schools. You know, it was it was, it was a lot, but but uh, wouldn't change any of it because it it really kind of presented the world to me in a way that I. Never would have gotten if I had just stayed and lived and grew up in one city. Right. So, right. so music and composing is what you obviously do now. When did that kind of start? Were you playing instruments as a young child? Yeah. Uh, my father, once again, my father, uh, he is uh, a trumpet player. Okay. He still plays today, actually. Um, and I was always around music. Um, and so... When I was, uh, I think, in junior high school, that's when I, my, I decided, hey, maybe I'll do the same, or maybe I'll play the trumpet and see what happens okay. and all that. So I, um, I definitely uh, got the bug for music, I would say, 
playing uh, in a uh, you know beginning band and all that. And yeah. Did marching band, did concert band, symphony band, all those things uh, all, all the way through college, and um, and at the same time, I also had kind of I always describe it a Rain Man esque quality. Uh, about me when it came to music, especially soundtracks, especially oh, scores okay. and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it was that thing, even growing up as a kid, where I would go to a, a movie and then, uh, you know, I'd walk out of, out of the movie and I'd, you know, beg my parents, can I please have the soundtrack to, say, Star Wars, for example, or whatever. And I'd play it at home and I would start regurgitating scenes and dialogue after one one viewing of it, you know, it was really kind of a strange thing. So from the music playing in the background, you can... I can remember the dialogue. all the scenes, almost ah. like, like photographic memory, Interesting. almost. Very cool. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I can't remember, you know, you know, who I talked to yesterday, but I can somehow remember right, all right, these right. strange uh, uh, things forming in my head that would, you know, recreate all these scenes and dialogue and so forth. So were you more interested in, like you said, music scores and soundtracks rather than you know, the Beatles or a band or, you know, I, I loved all so sorts of music. Okay. Um, I, I truly did. I, I listened to pop music and, uh, even country music. I mean, yeah. at one point in my life, and I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, That's but okay. I, we'll I was, uh, I was a radio disc jockey for a couple of radio stations in my life. And one of them was at a country and Western station. Um, so, uh, but yes, I, I loved all sorts of music and classical music and yeah. all sorts. Of stuff. Is there any footage of you line dancing by any chance? No. <laughs> uh, you know what? Well, this is a great interview. Uh, we'll see you <laughs> Thank later. You so Appreciate much for it. having me. Appreciate you coming all the way up. Did here. you go? It's a, we're talking, when you say Iowa, it's the university of Iowa. Yes. To the Hawkeyes. Yeah. Yes. Did you go there on a music scholarship? You know, I didn't, but I did sort of study music while I was there. I don't know what possessed me to not do that. I guess it was that whole thing of, you know, that kind of gets implanted in your head when you're a senior looking at schools and college and you have to figure out what is your trajectory. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, always the safest thing was to go in and declare a business manager. Right. major. So, but I knew after the first semester that that was not for me. So, uh, I was, although I was good at math, uh, but I, I just knew that just wasn't for me. And the second semester of my freshman year, I signed up for, you know, intro to um, broadcasting and film. Oh, okay. And it was like, you know, it was like the heavens opened up. I just literally walked in and I, everything, I connected to everything, every facet of TV production, film production, radio production, you yeah. know, all of it. I just loved it. Dang. All right, all right. Were you so, writing your own stuff at that time? Could you read music and write? Um, no, I, I was never writing anything. I was, I was more fascinated with, with uh, taking existing soundtracks that I just knew every single note of every single you know, score that John Williams had done or James Horner or Jerry Goldsmith, yeah. you know, all these icons. The greats, yeah. The great ones. Um, and I, I knew them so well that I would use them inevitably in almost all of my productions. And, and some, in some cases, I'd actually have the piece of music from the score, okay, which was a minute and a half, two minutes, whatever the, the cue was, and I would shoot to the music. So I always oh. did everything the reverse of, of how you normally do shoot things. I always did it because I wanted to make sure the imagery matched the music, not the other way around. Did you at any point while you're at school, like, oh, maybe I could be like the campus disc jockey? <laughs> or you know that's you not, know that's not a, a, a out of uh, my my realm at the time. I I, I thought uh, briefly about it, but what I did do was I became the disc jockey uh, during the summer when I was at, back home. 
Got it. You know, so wherever my parents were stationed at the time, because again, we're a military family, yeah. we moved a lot. Like Good Morning Vietnam. I mean, exactly. you basically yeah. are giving inspiration to other <laughs> yeah. other great artists. Yeah. So you know, I was I was that, that that was sort of my thing. If I wasn't working at a movie theater, okay, which was almost every single summer, I was also doing radio disc jockey work. And then what? So you graduated Iowa mm-hmm. in. Music, like no, uh, no I, 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 but we, in communications, studies. communications, yeah, yeah. And then what brought you out to LA? Uh, LA didn't happen uh, until I spent ten years in New York City. Oh, um, let's, let's, what brought you to New York? Oh, I know, right. so exactly. We've got a New York we, chapter. Yeah, here. We got a New York chapter. We missed that part. Here. That's all right. That's all right. Um, you know, I was such a, um, I was so kind of determined uh, as to what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to work in television and or film at some point in my life. And there was an opportunity for me to meet someone who worked for the ABC television network in New York. Okay. That's where the headquarters yep. is. And um, it was someone in the ABC News division. And so I, um, I decided, uh, much to the chagrin of some of my friends during our senior year of college who went off to spring break, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to New York. I'm going to meet somebody. And I was already hunting for a job, basically, before I was even out of college. Yeah. And, um, and I met with them and um, uh, met with uh, th- this person and then a, a few others. And, you know, they kind of all took a liking to me and thought, yeah, why not? Um, you're, you're a good kid. You obviously have, know what you want. And um, let's see what we can do for you when you graduate. And so... Yeah, so I did that. As soon as I graduated, I went straight to ABC Television and in New York, and I worked in the videotape library, which was as basement as you could go uh, at the network. And I was there, you know, hustling videotapes. So, you know, like the, the shows were coming from Los Angeles, like Roseanne and right. Home Improvement. Like I was handling the shows that everybody was watching on their television. So is this sets. early 90s? These are old HD cam SR tapes? Like, <laughs> are they- like the big one-inch Yeah, tapes, okay. Big, huge ones. And so uh, I was, um, you know, I checked them in because they'd come in off the overnight and uh, checked them all in, put them in the archives, put the backup in the archives, and the tape operators would come by and check it out and I'd, you know, mark it. And they would go off and uh, broadcast it when it, it aired. So, uh, but that was right after college. So that was, I graduated in 91. And so that would have been uh, fall of 91. Got so, it. Yeah, fall of 91. So. I always forget that home improvement was back that old. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, it was like 90, 92. That's David McFazian, I want to say, produced that, right? Oh, I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because yeah. he also created Roseanne. Roseanne, too. He did both oh, of right. those. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There yeah. You go. No, I grew up on home improvement. Dude, Wilson, he was he was my <laughs> Jiminy Cricket all yeah. the time. Yeah. He's all this wisdom from right here exactly. and above. That's yeah. it. That's true. How long were you, were you there? I was I was uh, literally there for about I would say uh, almost about ten years. Um, I left in, at I, ABC. At ABC, yeah. In the in the basement, not in the basement. <laughs> I actually they kind moved of, you up they, to they pool boy. <laughs> I, I you know like like a good good kid with ambitious uh, yeah. you know des, uh, desires. There, I I I met everyone I could meet. Uh, you know, I took advantage of the fact that I had to take tapes on a cart 
to run over to One Life to Live and Good Morning America and to World News Tonight with Peter Jennings mm-hmm. and 2020 and Primetime Live with Diane Sawyer and Sam Donaldson. I mean, it was really kind of wild. And, and inevitably, um, uh, no one really knows this and not going to get me in trouble now, but I would, if I knew that a huge guest was coming on GMA, for example, to play right. a movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> or you, made, you made yourself available. I made myself available. Yeah. And I'd run over, you know, I'm going to have to go check and make sure they've got the proper videotapes over at GMA. And I'd run over there and I'd wait in, outside the green room where I knew all the talent was. Did you ever pull room. like one wheel off the cart and be like, oh, it's broken. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoops. Oh, I have to stand here for a minute and <laughs> yeah, fix it. But, but I didn't even have to do that. I just did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. No, I, and I have these old snapshots. Um, I still have them. Uh, I met Huey Please Lewis. Please send them to us. Sure, yeah, yeah. I met Huey Lewis in the news. Uh, there's a picture of me uh, getting, I think, one of my CDs signed. And then the the, the villain from Terminator 2, uh, oh, oh, Robert, yeah. Robert yeah. Patrick. Yeah. yeah. So the he plays t- the T-1000. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So T2 is just coming out, and uh, he was doing his press tour or whatever. And I got a picture with him, and he's there, and he's he's going like this, like he, you know, <laughs> pointing his finger. Right. And, and I'm standing there uh, with, a, with a picture next to him. So, yeah, I kind of took advantage of the fact that, yeah, I was, I was measly, peasly, you know, Tape up, uh, tape taking delivery. over, taking over the company. Absolutely. You're like, um, did you ever see the secret of my success with Michael J. Fox? Of course. Okay. You're, you're that guy. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, you took your clothes off in the elevator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but by the way, uh, his show, uh, came back. Remember, uh, family ties. No, 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 no uh, the one after that in a uh, city city. Yeah. Um, spin, spin, spin city, city. spin yeah. city. Gotcha. That was an ABC show. And, ah. and that was one of our studios. So I would, I would go there often to kind of catch things uh, going on over there. You're a network master. So by, by networking and making yourself available, what's the trajectory for someone like where you want, did you want to produce? Did you want to, you know, I, I, I think I did want to go into the creative side of things, but, um, Nothing I could really, I, I, there was no pathway for me at the time. I just couldn't get my way there, yeah. even though I was meeting all these people. So I did just happen to meet somebody who came from one of the, on the corporate side of ABC, okay. who worked in the affiliate relations department, uh, Donna. Um, and uh, she came down and she, um, I would see her often because we were doing uh, feeds of stuff to the affiliates. And so she coordinated that. Got it. And so, yeah. So eventually she said, hey, there's a coordinator position upstairs. Do you want to come interview for it? I said, sure. And then from that point on, it was, you know, suit and tie uh, from that point on. And I was all corporate. All corporate. Yeah. Were, but you, I was, were you still playing music or? I mean, I was, I was uh, still obsessive about music. Yeah. Um, on the weekends, I couldn't listen to enough music. And I still tried to figure out ways. How could I do it? And um, I, I did find some outlet through the affiliate relations department when, once I got in there, as, and I moved around in different jobs, you know, uh, up the ladder that way. And I eventually got over to affiliate marketing. And in affiliate marketing, that's where we would put together all these promos to share with the affiliates who, you know, down in Biloxi, Mississippi, uh. they could run local ABC spots and sort of customize it with their own logos and their own talent, news talent, and say, join us this fall for ABC. Right. Here's what's coming up, and blah, blah, blah. And join us tonight on our local news, blah, blah, blah. So I was able to, to be a part of that creative process of creating some of that or at least contributing to some of it, and some of it involved the musical. And that's aspect. more of like an advertisement kind of like yeah, thing? Pr- yeah, promotional. Promotional, yeah. Yeah, branding and marketing type stuff. Now you touched on it earlier. Um, you said you're a disc jockey. Yes. Several places. Was this? Did this start in New York? 
No, it was uh, it was definitely all during my college years when I was home for summer, and that was all like outside of you know that was like uh, a Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Ah, my okay. dad was stationed at the U.S. Army War College. So this is even pre you oh, moving. Yeah. Okay. But DJ track continuing. Um, I eventually kind of fell into this thing um, where I was I was living in New York City. You yeah. know, I was a young kid. Yeah. I, was, I was twenty-two or whatever. Um, and it was the nineties. My God, I, I never thought I'd ever hear myself say, come on, man, it was the nineties, but, uh, <laughs> but it was the nineties and New York city could not have been more alive than it was in the nineties. As far as culture, nightlife, food, you just name it, the whole sort of s- spectrum of socializing and, and all that sort of stuff. So I actually ventured out to nightclubs and stuff and I was hearing music. I, I thought, where did this music, it must've come from the heavens. I was just falling in love with electronic music and dance music and all that sort of stuff. And I was that sort of lonely kid that was out there by myself or in the corner with a drink in my hand. And I was just there to hear the music and, uh, and everybody else, you know, they were doing their thing, right, and, right. <clears throat> having their trippy moments and such, but I wasn't, I was there to hear the music. I genuinely was. And it was great. It was great. I mean, I, I, I loved it. And I did kind of sort of go down this path a little bit, um, of, you know, becoming really kind of immersed into, uh, that side of music with, uh, electronic and dance and house music and yeah. all the yeah, house yeah. music, yeah. all of it. And I was seeing like Junior Vasquez, uh, Frankie Knuckles, Hex Hector. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Of At clubs I- in the city. Icons. Yeah, yeah. yeah, these icons. You know, like Madonna was showing up, and you look over, oh, my God, there's Madonna. You know? right, right. So it was, it was wild. It was a wild time. And I just became a fan of that kind of music. I kind of steered a little bit away from the other obsessions I had with soundtracks and all that sort of right. stuff and pop music. I kind of ventured over to this sort of electronic dance world. Did you buy me. yourself two turntables and a microphone I, for actually, your apartment? <laughs> no microphone, no. Uh, but I did buy myself uh, two um, they were one of the original pioneered CDJs. I think they were literally called CDJ 500s. Okay. Um, which are dinosaurs at this point. I got to look this up. Go yeah. ahead. Can, can, yeah. can you speak? And, uh, I'm, I'm just. And I did kind of, you know, I, I got into that whole thing like so many young fellas do when they're younger is making, you know, mixtapes. Yeah. Except my mixtapes were CDs, mixed CDs. Mixed CDs. And, um, and I just, uh, they, they were only for me. They were only for me to listen to in the car to get me to and from work and whatever or on my, you know. Walkman, yeah, uh, and uh, and I would you know kind the of, CD Walkman that like yes. nev- tr- the one that you never skips, never skips. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I did kind of go a little bit down that road of of that, and I you know there were a couple times where I, I was asked to kind of maybe do a uh, you know hey I I know you like I heard that CD you were playing the other night who, who where'd you get that oh I made it oh it's something great. like right. that. Uh, actually, that's exactly what they were. Yeah. And those two uh, right there on the top, you can see where the CD is. Yeah. yeah. Right here. The eject button yep. there, uh, just to the right of the left one. Okay. Um, and it would just, you know, pop up really loudly and obnoxiously. And it was very, very simple and basic, and, and but it was wonderful. So That's awesome. Yeah. Dude, you started on that. I did. I did. So 10 years in the city, you're making your own CDs, you're, work, you're working your way through corporate America. Corporate America, yeah. And very, very what's, what's, that next, uh, what's that next step for you? Um, probably the next step was uh, when uh, the Walt Disney Company purchased ABC Television. Okay. Um, and it happened unbeknownst to all of us who were in you know, the corporate side of ABC. We literally came to work one morning, and on everybody's desk was a note 
with Mickey Mouse in the corner say, hello, cast member. And we, we all kind of do walked you, out. Do you of, still have that? No, I wish I did. Oh. <laughs> but we all walked out of our office, our little mini, tiny, tiny offices, and we're all holding the paper, and we're all looking, you know, <laughs> what is happening? So eventually, my whole department was moved to Burbank. They built oh. a brand-new ABC building extend extension building or whatever but it was a building really beautiful it's still there today um and uh they moved my whole division my whole department or whatever out there all the affiliate marketing and all that sort of stuff so um i was told hey your job is moving do you want to go or don't you and i said where to la i said i'm so there so and i've been out here a few times for work uh, for a couple of, you know, like yeah. ABC meetings and such. But um, when the opportunity came to say, hey, maybe this is a chance to go. It's been almost 10 years in New York. Let's go to L.A. So I did. See, Burbank isn't that bad. You're right yeah. down the street. Yeah. Right down the street from your this roots. Is, this is memory lane right here. <laughs> I don't understand what the problem is, other than the planes that constantly take off four yeah. miles, four blocks away. So you're in L.A. This is early 2000s now? It is 2000. It's 2000. November 2000. What's LA like in 2000? I arrived right after 9/11, right before 9/11. I one. Really? Yeah. yeah. The week before. Um, yeah. Wow. That's that's so crazy. Yeah. I even think about that. I remember being, you know, woken up by right. a coworker. Oh my God! Turn on your television. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was crazy. But um, yeah, November 2000, I was here and you know settling in and kind of enjoying the change of environment and all that sort of stuff and. The new office digs were really nice. Right. Um, You're like, wait, it doesn't rain ever? Yeah. <laughs> the weather is, I never need a jacket. <laughs> what? Um, and so it was great. It was, it, was, um, it, it was a nice change. It was a nice change. I was feeling a little bit, you know, slightly restless. I was feeling a little stuck. And I thought, well, maybe the change of environment might help. Um, and, um, but, you know, you, you, uh, even after being here for about six months, um, I was still kind of having that feeling, you know. I think it's also because I was somehow just becoming a little overwhelmed with, with the desire to spend my time doing music. Yeah. Uh, doing music, meaning producing it, working on it, doing something with it. And, my God, I'm living in the most creative town on right. the entire planet, so... I thought there's got to be some something. For well, me. it's funny because a lot of our friends that we talk to that are the creatives that end up getting a job in corporate America never leave corporate America because they're so grounded in like it's so stable. Yeah. And it sounds like you had an epiphany <laughs> and we're like, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, I, I kind of did. I know my parents were shocked, but uh, but I, I just but they now know and they're extremely happy. I made the choices that I did, uh, right. obviously. But you know, like any any supportive parents, they're like, okay, well, you know, you need health insurance. You need, yeah. You know, Did I, you think this thing's through? I don't know. It, was a, it felt a little a little uh, spontaneous, but um, I always have had a kind of I will figure it out. Um, like Sean and I are, are both my my husband Sean Hayes. Yeah. We have the same kind of uh, personality trait that we call uh, we are figure it outers. So. Even at my lowest point, mm -hmm. I will figure out how to make sure rent is paid, bills are paid, insurance, right. all those things, and I'll eat, and I'll stay healthy, and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, there were struggling times at some point, but I just always figured it out. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, I did. I told them, I said, uh, you know, guys, I think I'm going to depart from corporate America. It just isn't... It, 
it doesn't sit well in my body and my skin. And I think it's important for me to be able to get up every day and feel some degree of happiness mm-hmm. in, in how I spend my day. Right. And it's, it's just not coming through with this particular job or this kind of uh, climate. So I said, uh, okay. And I took a year off after I left ABC television and shocked my boss and, and my coworkers. And I said, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to, going to jump ship. So and I, I sort of had made some connections here and there just from going out and meeting people and whatnot. And I, f- I found an, an engineer, um, uh, you know, like a sound engineer uh, friend now. Uh, and I said, hey, I'd love to sit in the studio with you when you're working, if that's cool. I, I, I don't want to interfere. I just want to sit in the back. I'll sit in the shadows in the corner. Yeah. And I just kind of want to observe if that's cool. He's like, absolutely. Come on down. And he'd call me, hey, I'm going to be working on this album project or whatever. Come sit with me. And then every now and then it turned into, hey, what do you think I should, you know, and he started asking me for input. Yeah. And I started giving the input. And then... I would sort of, you know, kind of look and see what he was working with as far as like programming, software, plugins, equipment, and so forth. And I started slowly building that gear at home for me. And I started playing around. Was that part of that Rain Man brain? Like, a little could bit. you, yeah? A little bit. And uh, what yeah. do you use? Pro Tools? I, I'm a Logic person. Logic, Logic okay. Pro. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so all the way back to Logic 6 or Ooh. 7, Logic 7, something like that. Yeah, it was ages ago. And I, you know, got a keyboard, got a computer, double screen. They got the, you know, the tower, uh, the Apple, you know, Mac Pro uh, tower or Mac. That's what I have. Yeah. It's so, good stuff. Um, and then, uh, you know, just spent a lot of time with him and sort of figuring things out with observing and, and jumping in with a little bit of a piece of input. And Now, what was he working on? Was he doing albums for people? Or was he doing music for television? It, 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 he was mostly albums for people, uh, some of it pop. Some of okay. it, um, some of it, kind of rock, I guess, and um, uh, and so and then and some of it was a little bit of electronic stuff. So because I was still having a little bit of a fixation with yeah. electronic music, I said, "Hey, I'd love to pay you for like an hour if that's cool to work on something with me. Uh, I have an idea for something. I'd love to explore it." And he said, "Sure." So uh, so I did, and we worked together on that, and then I took it home and worked on it myself. And then slowly I was becoming less dependent upon him to help me with something. And I was doing it all on my own. And then I would take to his place to listen to it on his system to see if, you know, sonically it sounded good and and whatnot, get some notes and and whatnot. And then, you know, as again, as one thing led to another, I, I took sort of all of that sort of experience I was having with him over that year. And then I started again through just random connections that happen in that's this how town. this town is yeah, yeah. you yeah. know you, oh my gosh you should meet so-and-so or, right you know and uh, and i was starting to meet label people that worked sort of in the dance world and, okay and then slowly but surely um as i you know got to know these people a few of them uh they would you know slip me an acapella and say hey i want to test your skills on this this doing a remix of this um and so i started noodling around with trying to create dance remixes of pop songs as they often do and still do today. Yeah. So pop artists would come out with a single, like I'll use an example that applies to me, Christina Aguilera, ain't no other man, huge song, huge single. 
And I, um, I had the opportunity to uh, do a remix on spec, basically. And uh, I did, and it was received well. And they said, sure, uh, we want you to uh, be included on the remix package that comes out, you know, on the CD single and all that. Was that the first the that was first the thing? First big one. That yeah. was the first big one. First big official one. Right. Yeah. So I, I'd also kind of managed to get my hands on, you know, promos for this single, which included an acapella. And Don't be afraid around. to name drop. Yeah. You go right ahead. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, Anyone that wasn't famous yet? Like that was trying to break and then you added like your own flavor or is it more like people that already established they had a hit song, they want to remix it? Already established folks. Got yeah. it. So like, for example... There was like a Mary J. Blige had a great song called Just Fine. And um, there was a, uh, I received promo, as they call them, promo only or promo type of uh, uh, maxi singles or CD singles for the, for the actual song. Mm-hmm. And so many times it included the acapella. They stopped doing that now, but many, a long time ago, acapellas were included all the time on DJ promo. Type. Why do they stop doing that? Wouldn't they want people to put their own spin on it or is not? I don't know. No. I think I think it's just so the song doesn't get, excuse the language, bastardized okay. too much. You know, they want to have more control over how many versions of the song comes out. So, so at this point, did you think that you found your next calling? Like this is going to be a paid gig. Like you're going to be in music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I I definitely found that sort of avenue where I was already obsessing a little bit about electronic and dance music, and now I found an avenue to be hopefully a creator of the stuff that I was so excited about. And so anyway, so like I said, I started doing that. I started getting, you know, befriending other DJs who were very successful. And, you know, thanks to some of those guys, they would say, here, you want the acapella? Don't tell anybody. But, you know, Uh and it was most, I'd always say, look, I'm not going to do anything with it. I I truly am just going to play with it on my own. It's more of an exercise. And then if it came out great, I would say, hey, if you want to play this at your next gig, let's just test the waters here and see if what I'm doing actually makes sense to people. Do they like it? Do they not? Was it good? Is it bad? Whatever. And uh, in, in a number of cases, the stuff I was doing and handing out um, exclusively to this person or that person and them playing it, they, it went over well. So then I was now sort of building a reel and yeah. I can now say to you know, um, Warner Brothers or the A&R person at uh, Universal or something and say, hey, I've worked on these these tracks and if there's uh, room for any upcoming, you know, big uh, billboard type artists, I would I would love to throw my hat in the ring. And So music at that time for you seems like kind of like acting for a lot of people where you're putting yourself out there. Hopefully they like it. If they don't, then you might not work for six months. Mm. Is it like one of those situations? I mean, kind of. Um but, you know, I, I, I had... I mean, you figured it out. Yeah, I, I figured it out. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, no, I figured it out. But I, but I also, I figured it out because I wanted to figure it out. And I wanted it to work. Uh, because I was having, I was getting up every day. And the first thing I would do is put music on in my apartment. And music, as long as I was in, in the apartment, there was always music on. So I, I clearly was like... Does that happen till this day? To this day. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, <laughs> I just had this feeling that I, I needed to be a part of music in some way, shape, or form. And, 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 and when this opportunity sort of opened for me in the sort of dance remix world, then I sort of went down that path and I was going to pursue it as far as I could. And How um, far did that take? Because we were, we were doing our research on you and it said that you had co-written 
stuff. Does that mean you co-wrote the, you co-wrote the music part of it? I actually wrote like lyrics. Well, um, most of the remix stuff that I did was to pre-existing material. Okay. So in the context of how I just explained where yeah. a label would say, hey, the new, uh, you know, uh, the new, I don't know, whatever, uh, Ain't No Other Man by yeah. Christina Aguilera. Uh, let's, let's see what you can do. And then here it is. And then they like it. And then you go from there and, and um, get it. It gets released and, and hopefully does well. But there were a couple of, of dance songs that I worked with uh, with uh, one artist in particular. Her name was Debbie Holiday, and she still remains a, a dear friend of mine today. And um, she was kind of a newbie. She was she she was uh, not familiar with the world of dance music and whatever. And she she managed to um, uh, come up with a, a great song. And then I took uh, it and remixed it, and it opened her eyes to a whole new world. And now here she was playing for thousands and thousands of club goers and singing to the remix that I did right. for her. And then eventually we wrote one together called Joyful Sound, and uh, that seemed to do very well in the gay dance music scene, and I was very thrilled about that. And um, and then a couple others with her, too. So And then uh, and other artists randomly throughout you know the yeah. time that I was doing it. So, How far does that path take you? So you just keep doing remixes, or eventually you kind of like... Yeah, I need to I do mean, my own. It's a good thing because uh, because the the remix world kind of opened me up in even more into the sort of dance club DJ world. So as I said, I would hand stuff yeah. out to guys and or girls, and uh, and they would play them and give me feedback. And generally, it was very good. And so I uh, eventually started getting asked by people, "Oh, you did those song or oh, that song in that right. remix? Hey, why don't you come play our event?" And I was oh. like, oh, okay, I have to, now I have to really dust off the Pioneer CDJ 500s, <laughs> which everybody looked at and laughed at because it's like so old school, right. so old uh, CD technology. Uh, so I had to kind of bone up on some new, newer technology Tech, yeah. and in what was in the clubs and ever, everything. And, you know, just kind of get my, get my hang with it. And, um, and then started slowly playing this event and this party and whatever, and now this club and, and, uh, eventually yeah, but those are tools you, you, those upgrade all the time. Yeah. Oh it yeah. It sounds like the majority of your success is flowing out of the thing you actually love and are pal- yes. passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And, and the tools weren't hard, you know, like the, the, the technology. Technology wasn't hard. I found it very easy to 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 use and adapt, adapt to, to learn it. about. Yeah. And, Plus, and your mentality is I'll find a way to make it work. I'll find a way. And I, yeah, I I, I I I say that I'm I'm tech savvy, but I, I think I am. Just naturally, it's my way to figure out how that camera works or this mic works, right. you know, without having to read a huge manual. Right. So, <laughs> right. Uh, and so eventually, I parlayed the remix stuff I was doing into now actually performing as a DJ in some of these clubs and playing the stuff that I was becoming known for, which yeah. was kind of fun. So, and it was all in the gay clubs and, and whatnot, and um, and I I loved it. I I had a great time, and um, obviously I'm a gay man, so I felt even more at home right. in that environment, and it, and it it worked, and for me, you know, it it, it inspired me and made me happy and. Uh, it was fun to see people react to things that I was doing and producing. That was the biggest reward. As soon as I hit, you know, drop that song in the club, and then all the moments in that track where I want to get some sort, elicit some sort of reaction, whether it's hands in the air or like cheers or whatever, 
it was happening. So it's like a like a you know like a comedian up there telling a joke and getting getting the reaction. The, yeah. I was getting the musical reaction I was seeking. And were you um, just DJing in LA? Mostly. Okay. But then slowly, uh, you know, like anything. Uh, like in this town and, and anything creative, what's the new shiny object? I was sort of the new shiny object. And, <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> and, and to some extent, a lot of eyes and a lot of ears were on me to say, uh, ooh, I heard that guy, he did a really great event, or he did this great party. I saw him appear at, and uh, I started getting a chance to play other clubs outside of L.A. and Very cool. all around the country and South America, too. Can so. I ask, like, I know you said John Williams already, what's your top, like, two or three outside of John Williams? of mm-hmm. Your hero inspiration, the person you're like, ah, I, I use them for motivation, like, grew up as a fan. Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, John Williams aside, of course, I would say that Tears for Fears is hands down my favorite band of all time. I, I Have you ever met them? Uh, we met, my, Sean, my husband Sean and I met Kurt Smith a few years ago after Tears for Fears played at the Will Turn here in uh, Los Angeles. And I didn't get to re- meet Roland because uh, mm-hmm. he was on a, a different, his dressing room was on a different floor but we got to chat with uh, Kurt and that was really awesome that was, that was really, awesome really great uh, Tears for Fears um, yeah uh, I would say um, I know you said it, James Horner too. yeah James Horner Jerry Goldsmith th- those are kind of like the big staples when I was youthful gr- going to the theater uh, movie theater to see movies and such so they were almost always the ones you were hearing um, but as far as other types of uh, artists, musicians, and so forth. I mean, yeah, the Beatles, um, um, just, you know, and, and, and all the way to the other side of things, like, you know, um, the s- soundtrack spectrum to Kenny Loggins and, uh, you know, just folks like that who are just... Stor- Big Footloose uh, soundtrack fans? Top Gun. Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun, yeah. come on. Yeah. But, you know, rock the- stars in, in the sky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Berlin, take my breath away. <laughs> um, but no, you know, the, the, you know it, I, I, I don't mean to, to downplay artists of today, but, you know, let's, let's be honest. The, those those still are artists but they they were incredible storytellers uh, right. I- I- with the work that they uh left uh to the world so i still revere them today and i listen to them today still i was i don't know if this is rumor or true but were you a dj for ellen at one point huh. uh yes i was actually <laughs> why'd your voice go up yeah. i like that just now um I, no it, it was, we can cut this part out no, was no. that because of the new shiny object was this early on in her show uh, the or show mid- the show hadn't even premiered yet. Oh, oh wow! Um, but I was sort of the new shiny object uh, in West Hollywood for this club that was right next to the Abbey called Here Lounge. Okay. And Here Lounge was op- uh, was created and opened by uh, these guys who ran a club, uh, a lounge club in New York called G Lounge. And um, so I had frequented G Lounge a lot. I would go there for after work di- uh, drinks and stuff. So, um, so when I heard that this place was opening up and I was kind of getting my, my DJ groove on a little bit and, and making music and all that sort of stuff, I thought, oh, gosh, I would love to have a, a residency yeah, at right? this place. And so I went in when I saw that construction was happening. And once I saw that the hard hats were still were off, uh, but it looked like it was about to open, that's when I... Went and knocked on the door. Yeah. 
and I said, I introduced myself, and I brought up G Lounge in New York, and they're like, oh, oh, yeah, you like G Lounge? I said, I love that place. Um, and because I had come from New York, I felt like I was potentially someone who could bring a little bit of that New York vibe yeah. that they had going on there and bring it in here so it didn't sound like all the other places. Right. And um, Plus, now you had the, the, like the resume. I had a little bit of a resume yeah. going, so that was nice. And um, so I met with them, and I knew I was one of many uh, who were meeting with them because it's a new place, you know. And I, um, I was asked to, you know, come and do their opening party. Like, uh, LA Times were there, and it was this crazy event. Um, and it went Like over. the opening night or like the pre before they even exposed it to the public? It was two days before the public yeah. saw it, but it was it was a very big event. Right. And I did it, and it went over very well. And I think I was, I might have even been mentioned in the LA Times article, but that, but it was very nice. It was a very positive experience. And I, and I, let that sort of positivity wash over me. And I said, okay, great, nice, nice work. So let's see if I can keep this up. And they definitely, after that event, said, we want you to be our kind of our main resident guy. So, um, and I was. I was, was it a certain night? Um, I think originally it was. Or two nights? No, it, it was originally a, a, a set night. I, rem, I can't, I may be getting this wrong. I feel like it was, it was possibly like a Friday or, or Saturday. I mean, okay. it was great, great yeah, slot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but it was a, it was a good gig and it, it, it got me all sorts of exposure, um, at the time. And I was extremely grateful and, you know, um, it was it was just a positive experience all the way around. I know some people didn't particularly care for me because I wasn't from here, mm. as they say. So I was getting a little. But bit no of, one's from here. Who's, I, exactly. Who's from here? Everybody yeah. moves to LA. <laughs> They're not from. LA. Right. Exactly. But you know, some of the mainstay folks and some right. of the other uh, DJs who some were really lovely and wonderful and accepting that I was sort of the newbie yeah. in town, and then others simply weren't. Yeah. Um, so what are you going to do? They were snarky, and I just let it you know, rub off, and no big deal. So I just tried to do good things and try to be nice to people, and I still try to be that way today. And, um, you know, it, it worked out well. And then eventually, one day, as, as many of us did uh, in the DJ world and club world out here, we all went to shop before the weekend to see what new music was out there, okay. record shopping. Yeah. And there was a record shop called Perfect Beat, it was uh, in West Hollywood, and it was near the pizza place that, that's there, the Village Pizza or something like that. or I can't remember. Left of La Cienica? It's, no, it, it's, right on, it's right in West Hollywood on, on Santa Monica Boulevard. Okay. Um, uh, uh, is Pump still there? Yeah. Yeah, so oh. across the street from... Okay. Oh, okay. Got it. And it was okay. right there. And um, Perfect Beat and Jeff. Jeff was the shop owner, and that's where everybody went to shop. So if you're looking for the latest releases, imports, you name it, that's where you found it. And they had some listening stations in the back. And so any given, you know, Thursday or Friday, you could see every West Hollywood DJ up there with the headphones listening to new records and listening to new CDs and such. So I was shopping there one day. What year is this? Sorry. Oh, gosh. It was, um, I believe it was, uh, it was. Roughly. Probably spring of 2003. Okay. 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 Spring of 2003, there I am. It's a kind of a quiet day for some reason. I think I maybe went, went earlier in the day, and it was really kind of just me in there, and it was Jeff, the shop owner. And I'm up there listening to stuff, and um, <clears throat> he, uh, he says, oh, gosh, Scotty, I, almost, I wanted to tell you, um, there was a guy here 
who is working on, I don't, he's, I don't know if you've heard of this, but Ellen DeGeneres is going to be doing a talk show. And I said, oh, yeah, I think I read something about that. And said, well, he left his card. He's kind of involved. He's one of the producers or something. He, he wasn't quite sure. But, and he said um, he wanted to know if there was a DJ who had any television experience. <laughs> I said, I laughed like I am now. And I said, well, <laughs> I wouldn't call this natural television DJ experience, but I've worked in television and, and I'm a DJ. I'm a DJ. <laughs> so maybe there's a way to marry the two and hopefully give them what they're looking for. And he said, well, they're meeting on DJs because apparently she wants to have a DJ and not a live band. She wants to hear actual, you know, Michael Jackson songs, mm. not a cover band doing Michael Jackson. So, um, or the latest, whatever, Justin Timberlake. Or whatever. Right. And so, uh, so he gave me the guy's number and, um, and I said, okay, wow, very cool. So I kind of went home and thought about it. And I thought, well, how am I going to go about this? I, I, I have no idea. No, A, I'm not, I, you know, yes, I'm kind of a creative person, but I don't know anything about having an agent or anything to kind of help me guide Navigate, me through this. Yeah, yeah. And so I was all on my own, uh, completely on my own. And I just called the guy and kind of put my best self on and pitched myself and he seemed to take a liking and, and say, yeah, um, you know, you sound great. And, hey, why don't you send over kind of like a demo of what you think the music should sound like in an episode of a talk show? I said, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. No problem. And so I worked on this uh, compilation, which was pretty much like a wedding CD. You know, like I knew I, what I realized very, very quickly and very obviously was that it's not a nightclub. This isn't a nightclub. Game. Right. This is daytime. A, this is daytime. It's, it's people wanting to feel good and feel like they're at a party. So, upbeat. so very upbeat, all that yeah. stuff. It was a, it was a fun compilation. And so I sent it in and then I got a call from him to say, Hey, um, this is really great. Why don't you come in and meet with the producers, um, you know, uh, the, later this week. And I said, sure. And so I went in and I met with the three main producers of the show and, uh, they were lovely. And, um, we had a great chat, and um, and just backing up to the night before, I you know was really feeling like okay, this is a cool cool gig. Whoever gets this is really going to have yeah. a great opportunity, and I want to make the most of it. So I actually was up until about two in the morning, and I was editing, um, <laughs> I was editing this this little song that I um, um, had gotten a promo of, and I had the instrumental of it. And I kind of did a quick edit on it, and I wanted to do something that was somehow tied to Ellen. She had just done her HBO, first HBO special, and I had some audio from it, and I sampled some of her jokes and her audio and so forth and edited it together with this little piece of music uh, from the song. And I took it with me, and I was going to leave it behind if the interview went well. And so the interview went very well, and I said... Uh, they said, great, well, you know, thank you so much. We've got this CD. Or they handed it to us uh, today. And um, I said, you know, I'd also like to leave this behind if it's cool. You know, just was, you know, thinking about the interview and thinking about all of this. And I, I put together this edit with Ellen's samplings in it. And I'd love for you guys to check it out if you have time. If not, no big deal. Yeah. And so there I am. I'm drive. I'm leaving. <clears throat> And I'm driving, and, you know, I'm feeling really good. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, it went so, so well. So did you go in there thinking, like, I have nothing to lose? Like, exactly. yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. So you're Nothing. super calm. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're not, thinking no. this is a cool gig, whoever gets it. 100%. Hope it's me. <laughs> Hope it's me. <laughs> Hope <Yeah>. it's me. <laughs> Dear God. And so, uh, so anyway, so I'm literally leaving. And, you know, it, 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 this is completely 100% true and, and is not made up. It feels made up or sounds made up, but it isn't. I'm literally looking in the rearview mirror and I can see the Warner Brothers Tower. Yeah. Not the Warner Brothers Tower, sorry. I, was, um, I met at NBC um, over on the NBC lot next to the Tonight Show. But I had to pass Warner Brothers. Right. And then I saw the Warner Brothers Tower. Right on all of there. You're coming yeah, around exactly. the studio. Okay. And, um, uh, and so I just looked at it and I went, wow, what a crazy, what a crazy time in my life. It, you know, nothing's happened, but it feels like everything has happened. Yeah. And so I'm literally, and my phone, my cell phone rings and it's the producers again. And they said, hey, we just listened to that this thing. This is like 10 left. minutes after you left. Probably 10, 15 minutes yeah. tops. And they said, hey, we just listened to that thing you did, the edit with the Ellen stuff. That's amazing. That's really, really cool. Uh, would you want to come in and meet with Ellen in two, to Ellen in two days? I said, let me think, yes. <laughs> sure, I would love to. So uh, anyway, so I hung up the I'll have phone. to check my schedule. Yeah. That's the line, but I'll, oh I'll, I'll get right back to you. And so, yeah. I don't I just, know if you guys know, but I'm a resident DJ at, at, <laughs> at here. <laughs> it, it was just nuts. It was all nuts and crazy and surreal. So anyway, so I was, you know, again, I still didn't have the job by any stretch. Right. Because I still had to meet. Well, you're one step closer. Uh, by me. Yeah, but you mean the big dog. You yeah. met, you took the opportunity with your talent and then you were smart and you made it personal. Right. That's, right. it's not like I just luckily got it. You know? Right. Exactly. You, yeah. yeah. And, you, and by the way, they, ha I know, uh, I was told that they had seen easily 20, 25 other DJs before me. Right. So I knew I was, I was either just one of many that would be forgotten or I was one of the last and hopefully leaving a good impression. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I, I hung up the phone with him in the car and I drive home and I'm just kind of like, oh, wow, a little shaking a little bit. It's like, God, oh, it's pretty cool, pretty cool. So uh, anyway, fast forward two days later, I go back and I'm, I'm there to meet Ellen and I'm brought into her office. And when I walk in, it was very, very intimidating because there's her desk, her office desk, and she was sitting behind it. Uh, producers brought me in and then all around the room were these executives like sort of in the shadows but not quite but not saying a word so you're at like a screen test i'm kind of like a screen test <laughs> yeah. and they've got clipboards and everything like that so no facial reaction just zero dead stoic <laughs> so anyway. yeah that's not intimidating at all yeah so you know it was it was um you know it was a moment i'll say that it was definitely a moment and so um i got introduced to her and I was sort of sitting uh, on the other side of her desk, but it was sort of crazily looking like a Tonight Show desk, the way her office was set up, if I recall. I was sort of sitting off to the side. You're the guest. And I was sort of the guest. Yeah. And she and I were just uh, just kind of, you know, talking and, and, and um, uh, having a great conversation easily for a good 45 minutes. Well, all more. these people are watching you? All Talk? watching me. <laughs> all watching me. The producers kind of chimed in a little bit yeah. here and there. But it was mostly just us talking and her asking me questions about music and, and what, what, you know, what would I play and all that sort of stuff. And 
Um, do they ask you about background? Do they ask you about? Yeah, they, they did. I, yeah. I, I think it might, it was included also had submitted some, you know, uh, sort of documentation like a resume and, and what my background was. So they kind of knew all of that, but yeah, it, it, it all kind of came up very casually and I just kind of mentioned, you know, all of that. So, and I mentioned the television aspect. I kind of drove that home too. Cause I said, I, you know, worked for network television for 10 years. I got it. I know which I know this is a brand that we have to work very good at. And I'm here to musically uphold that brand. Whatever it is you guys see and envision for this, mm-hmm. I'm going to musically make that happen. And so anyway, I think I was saying all the right things. And, um, you know, like I said, Ellen, Ellen and I hit it off really well during the interview. And she's, you know, she literally said to me after, you know, um, uh, towards the end of our chat, she said, where the, f- excuse my language. She's Thank like, you, sir. Where, where the fuck have you been hiding? And I was like, uh, just, I just at the record store, at the record store. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so anyway, so it all came to an end and I, Ellen and I, well, this has been great. It's lovely to have met you and thank you. And, um, We'll have a discussion and, and uh, you know, and, and uh, just uh, stay tuned, I guess. I don't know. I can't remember what she said. But, um, and, uh, and then one of the producers said, oh, Ellen, before we let Scotty go, uh, Scotty, by the way, was my sort of uh, name. DJ uh, Scotty. DJ Scotty K was the name. Um, and so everybody kind of affectionately called me Scotty. So, um, and so she, oh, uh, Scotty wanted to uh, left this behind. Why don't we listen to it? And oh, she had not heard it? No, oh. not yet. And so all the color in my face completely just escaped me. They were saving the silver bullet for the end. Right. Now, that silver bullet was either going to kill me right. or it was but going then to you be. Know. But then you know, either give me a yes or a no. Give me a yes or a no. And so, but I was more nervous because of all the people in the room. I didn't, you know, I, I, a, they barely responded, like I said, to anything that was going on in the room. So I didn't know if they had a sense of humor or they were well you know, most executives don't like they're <laughs> just they don't even know what's going on they're just like where how do you make money yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um so anyway so i i said kind of gave it a little setup and they put it in to play and i think in total it was about three and a half minutes or so and i said to myself i said this is either going to be the longest three and a half minutes of my life or it's going to be the greatest moment in my life yeah. uh up until this point so um I sat there, and I remembered there was a musical moment early on that involved her saying a joke as it timed with the music, and if they didn't laugh, then it was really going to be painful. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, the whole room laughed. Like, they were, like, joyously laughed. Like, oh, my God, that's, you know. And then, uh, and then it kept going, and then it kept going, and more laughter and more this, and all the right things were happening, and I was like, oh, thank yeah. God. So... You know, when all was said and done, uh, it was a great moment. And as I said, they, she gave me a hug, and, and uh, everybody said, thank you so much for coming, and, and uh, we'll be in touch as how it was left uh, by the producers. So, and then I, I left, and I was feeling high and great and awesome and, and um, thought, okay, well, the, this could be a moment in my life. I don't know yet, but we'll see. And it wasn't until like three days later, and then I finally got a call, and the call came through. And for I was, the pilot? For, yes, yeah. yeah, and I was, uh, uh, they, they were all on speakerphone, as I could tell, so that made me nervous, I didn't know who, how many people were there, and then um, by the end of the very somewhat short call, they, they said, uh, well, I j- we just have to say, Ellen hasn't stopped talking about you since you left, and uh, we just want to know, you know what, would you like to come and be a part of the show, 
And I remember said no. <laughs> I remember doing that thing that happens in almost every movie when someone gets joy news. Um, but I don't want the people on the phone to hear it. And I completely did the whole like silent jumping yeah. and fist pumping and so forth. And then I finally said, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, from that moment on, it was uh, kind of a, a beyond anything I ever could have imagined experience. How many seasons did you do with, with that show? I sadly wasn't there very long. Oh. Um, I was sort of part of, I think, a first wave of of maybe some changes to the show uh, that happened as many pilots go through, as you guys know, when they shoot a pilot or a television show or whatever, a lot of times the pilot and some of the actors and characters are recast. a little bit, little bit different yeah. or they're recast yeah. or something um, before it moves on to a picked up series. Right. But with me, I was involved in the show quite a bit for uh, easily, I would say three or four months, I would say. And we had done a lot of test uh, uh, shows. You mm -hmm. know, we tested some shows, and then um, we got audience uh, in there to watch it and so forth. And then we had uh, people watching them and kind of grading them and, and yeah. giving their feedback and all that sort of stuff. And as far as I knew, as I was told, uh, my feedback was great. Um, but, uh, but then, you know, sadly, one day um, I got word that the uh, folks paying the checks and writing the checks – wanted to make a little bit of uh, some changes. And, and uh, sadly, I was one of the changes. And so I wasn't, you know, once the show aired, like, again, we had taped um, a few weeks worth. Yeah. But then, and then we started kind of uh, finessing the show. And then, um, uh, and then I was on there, I think, for another, probably another 10 or 12 episodes that actually aired with me on it. And then after that was when there was a bit of a change uh, with the show. There was some aesthetic changes, mm -hmm. scene changes, uh, scenery, uh, scenery changes or, or whatever. And, um, and then they brought in uh, Tony. Tony O, I believe, was his name. And he so when out. you run into Ellen now, is she like, Scotty who? I mean, look, <laughs> I, she has, I, I, I will say this for the record, she has been uh, nothing but nice uh, to me. So uh, I have since seen her. I didn't see her for a very, very, very long time. And I will say that leaving the show was a huge, huge blow. And was, I, I didn't understand it. Because, right. again, I wasn't, I, wasn't an, I wasn't an actor trying to play a part. I was just me. So you can't help but feel like, like somebody me. doesn't like you. Yeah. And somebody doesn't like me. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, well, how can I make you like me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you always want to be able to. Make Please. the person, yeah. you know, happy who's paying, paying your check. So, but, you know, ultimately I never really got a reason. And, you know, if I required it, who knows, but I, I never got one. And um, people can sort of leave it up to their own sort of ideas as to what may or may not have happened. But, but um, did that also show you how cutthroat that part of the business is as far as like, oh, yeah. you know, on air talent? Like yeah. you can be replaced. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, completely. It, it, it definitely reminded, uh, educated me as to the hierarchy of things in entertainment, and um, and uh, where I fell on the food chain, and um, and I just took all of it as as an incredible, incredible life lesson, professional lesson, and moved moved on from yeah. it. Yeah. Um, how did that moment? Um, how have you gotten better, maybe, or how how do you learn to deal with that kind of? I got the job as the best, yeah. and now I'm cut. I'm fired. I'm the show's canceled. Like, how yeah. do you personally you know, manage that in a healthy way? Here, I think probably what it did for me 
which was the greatest gift. Actually, there's two tremendous gifts. There was a professional gift, and then there was a personal gift. Um, I'll say the professional first because that's the easiest answer to give, and then the other one can lead on to something else probably. But um, professionally, it, it, it opened more doors than I could possibly imagine. Right. And so record labels were calling me. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the people throwing the Emmy after parties and HBO and Paramount and all these people were calling me because of the DJ thing. Right. So I was being kind of, I was sort of becoming, uh, I was having my 15 minutes. I mean, I'm, I can say that confidently. And they're calling you even a- after, after I was gone. You already knew you were gone, but they're just seeing this stuff yeah, come out yeah, now. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And, uh, and so they're, they were calling me to do, uh, this event and some celebrities were getting my contact info because of a thing I did. And now I'm at these certain celebrities houses and doing parties. And, mm-hmm. and I said, look, I don't know where this is going. I really don't. If anything, it can help me move along the music production part of my life. And it was, but it was also just giving me a little taste of feeling important uh, in this very competitive town. So I, uh, I was enjoying it. I definitely was, and I never took it for granted. I was always very grateful and um, knew it could come to an end at any, any given moment right. as I'd just gone through it with the show. And um, I said I was just going to ride it out as long as I could and see where it took me. So, um, But then the personal change really came. That was sort of the, the, the groundbreaking moment for me was while I was on the show... Um, my future husband had watched the show and asked Ellen about me and, and wondered oh. if I was, if I was uh, available. A gay and available. <laughs> um, and, you know. Uh, and you said yes and yes. Well, the thing was, I didn't know about this for quite some time. Um, and she, I, I think he said, Ellen said, honestly, I don't know. But, you know, I, I wasn't close to Ellen on a personal right. level. So she, she wouldn't have known that. So, um, so he's, you know, and then he eventually came on as a guest for the first time. While you were... And I was, I was not there anymore. Okay. So, of course, he came on and he looked over and he didn't see me. And then he was like, oh. Uh, and then Thanks so much. I'll see you later. Yeah, don't even need then, to be. And then eventually, you know, had that conversation with Ellen about, where's, you know, where's Scotty and all that. So... Um, anyway, so that was in, again, 2003 was when Ellen premiered, and that's when I was on uh, for those first couple of months. And then fast forward to uh, continuing this personal story. Fast yeah. forward to 2006 is when I get an email from Sean's assistant at the time. Um, and again, this is around the time I'm, I'm, I'm flying everywhere and doing all these big high-profile events and um you're like david getta <laughs> yeah well please no not even close um but i was you know i was i was doing some things and 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 people were kind of uh oh i saw you there come do this or whatever and i get an email from his assistant asking if i would do uh, a big huge party at his house at sean's house you show up it's just sean no um <laughs> and, but it but and it, one leopard print tiger exactly um no i i i got this i was actually in uh, where was i was in um i was in uh wait dubai no i was in i was in mexico city that's where i was it was some big huge resort thing and doing a big event there and 
um, I got that email and I'm literally just sitting in my hotel room, you know, cause I'm there by myself. Yeah. There's all these people there, but I'm by myself traveling by myself. So I get this email and it said, Hey, Sean, Sean, uh, would like to speak with you about a party he's having at his house. And, uh, would love for you to DJ. We got your number from so-and-so. And I, I replied back, great, wonderful. Here's my contact info. And here's my number in case you guys need that as well. I'm out of the country, but I'll be back in a, in a few days. Hit send. Probably 20 minutes later, my phone rings. And I, I go, oh, gosh, who would be calling me? I'm in Mexico. But I, uh, hello. And, and it was Sean. And he said. Um, I couldn't wait any longer. That's <laughs> eventually what it sounded yeah. like. <laughs> but, he, but he was wonderful. I mean, he just said, hey, I just, thanks so much. I saw, you know, I'm glad you got the email. And I would love to talk to you about the party. Are you, I, I heard you're out of the country right now. I said, yeah, I'm back in a few days. I said, okay. Um, great. Well, and then it just sort of tra- immediately went into kind of this random conversation of, of like, gosh, I've got to ask you a question. I said, what? He says, um, what happened? Why did you leave Ellen? I said, well, and I explained the whole thing. And, um, he's like, gosh, wow, that's amazing. So, um, and then we're talking about this and we're talking about next thing I know we're, we were talking for easily two hours. Now this was, had, it, there was nothing about it that felt like you know, uh, I, uh, he was interested in me right, personally right. or any of those things. It just felt like I was talking to a friend, yeah. uh, like my best friend. Yeah. You know, it was very easy. It was very uh, lovely. So He was working up to it. I don't know. But uh, anyway, eventually I get back to uh, L.A. And <laughs> I, I'm, no joke, he, he can attest to this. As soon as I landed and I'm going through customs, I pull my phone out to turn it back on. And 37 missed calls. There, there's a message, and it's from Sean. And he says, hey, aren't you back today? I said, no. I, and I literally laughing. And I, I called, and I said, hey, I actually just went through customs, so um, maybe I can give you a call later or tomorrow or something, and we can talk more about your party. He's like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Okay, great. Click. And then, um, and then of course, uh, I get home, and, and, and next day rolls around. And then we make a plan to go grab a bite to talk about the party. We're <laughs> sitting there having a great chat, and um, we're talking about uh, my trip and everything. And then we start, I said, so tell me about this party. And, and he's cutting, and he took a bite, <laughs> and he goes, um, I have to be honest with you, there is no party. I just wanted to meet you. <laughs> and... I was so overwhelmed with such... Uh, so like, happy this is going to air. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 and, and he tells the story, too. So oh, okay, I'm not, I'm okay, not talking okay. about a turn. Uh, but he, it, was, uh, it was so... Uh, there was such a, an, an exhale. What did happened. your face do at that moment? I completely blushed. Like another you know, martini. Yeah. Well, Two thank, more. Thankfully, Double. it was low lit. Right. I, I'll say that. But I, I, was, it was, I was very flattered and slightly embarrassed. And... Also bewildered. I like I th- if I thought for a second, stepped out of myself and saw what was happening here. Here I was having dinner with someone that I greatly admired for his work, and also the show because I was a gay man living in New York watching the show, and suddenly I went from watching Friends uh, because they are my friends, you know, and yeah. suddenly here's Will and Grace, and they were now my friends. And I just, I was, and you related to them. More. I related yeah. to them, and and um, and I was just taken by, like I said, him as an actor and what he did. And he was a gay man 
playing a gay character, um, and you know there he was on uh, network television. Network television. Yeah. And it was really something. So there I was uh, having an out of body moment, saying, "I can't believe this is happening," you know, because I never really come, you know, uh, or or cross paths rather to uh, being in the presence of a lot of celebrities or yeah. famous people yeah. or people of certain stature and stuff. So was 2006 uh, was was Will and Grace still on when you guys met? It had just ended. Okay. So, uh, so we met in, uh, so that would have been around probably May, you know, sweeps or something right, right. Of, of 2006. We met, uh, in, uh, no, November, 2006. Got it. And so, um, anyway, so I was just kind of like saying, I can't, I can't believe this is happening. This is crazy. And now he just said he wanted to meet me, which made me realize, oh, this is more than just a dinner. This is actually, the hey, are you, are, you, are you available? And maybe would For you like to go out? For the rest of your life. <laughs> would you like to go out on a date? Uh, and you I were think, like, well, first we're listen to my demo track. Yeah, right. Here it is. <laughs> Here it is. Let me know what you think about that. Um, and so anyway, so at that moment... It was a big shift for me, and um, I uh, obviously said, uh, "My God, I'm so flattered. Thank you. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm available. And th- thank you for lying about your party, <laughs> you know." And uh, and then, you know, we immediately started uh, seeing each other, and like, you know, like uh, a very unusual couple. We barely been away from each other right. since then. So since 2006. So. But then you guys get a house together and he finds a mix CD with Seanisms <laughs> yeah. all thrown in. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Oh um, hey, so, if you can yeah. lie about the DJ party, I feel like you get one free pass somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So, so like, but okay. So his first chapter of his career is kind of en- ending, I guess in a little, little bit of a way because the show got, is done. Right. And you're starting to, Having yeah, with some sort of little lift to mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So oh five, oh six, oh seven, oh eight. Like, take us through. Are you starting to want to compose more now and write more? No, I th- I still was sort of writing DJ? writing okay. the DJ okay. train a little bit, and that's what I did for a while, right up until about two thousand ten. Um, and just continuing to do DJ type work and right. and remixes and music production stuff and whatever. And um, having a you know good time doing it, and um, uh, you know some degree of success yeah. as one could have in that world. So, and then um, and then like I said in 2010, uh, by now Sean and I are imme- immediately immersed in each other's right. lives. So we're, we we are bona fide to get you know a couple living together and all those sorts of things. And then he's um, he was offered a, a Broadway uh, revival of Promises Promises on Broadway with Kristen Chenoweth. And so that meant we would have to go to New York for a year. And I said, well, you know, I'm easily mobile. So, um, you know, there's no need for me to stay here. I will happily go to New York with you and I can even maybe continue my work. I'll take a little remote setup of mine Mm -hmm. and I can keep working a little bit. And uh, and we went out there for a year and and he was on uh, Broadway for a year. So, um, but then when I came back uh, right after the show ended uh, and that was right at the start of 2011 um it's funny what can change in a year i I had a different perspective a little bit on life i was also with someone that kind of uh you know kind of unexpectedly put me in a little bit of a light um in a way that i hadn't anticipated right um and uh and so i was now sort of who's who's this guy that sean hayes is dating you know thing because we were popping up here and getting photographed does that deter people or 
open more doors? Um, I don't know if it necessarily affected me at that time professionally in any way. It just was now suddenly I could see people looking at me. Right. Um, although that kind of happened a little bit with Ellen, but very briefly, very briefly, because the show, her show out of the gate was a huge hit. So, right. you know, I had a few moments on the street where people were just running, women especially, were just running up to me going, oh my God, <laughs> grabbing, yeah, grabbing me by the shoulders. Oh my God, I love you. Don't touch. Um, Don't touch. Yeah, I'm just trying <laughs> to make an ATM withdrawal. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but this was different. This was now criticalized a little bit. You know how... You know, uh, a little bit of the sort of uh, snarky, sort of uh, tabloidy type press can now start paying attention to you in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I I started, and also uh, 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 fans of his, you know, sometimes were incredibly mean, rude rude to me because they either pretended I wasn't standing next to him when they ran up and threw their yeah. camera in my face to take a picture of them with him. Uh, those types of things. That happened often. and But not often enough that finally I had to sit Sean down and say, um, I'm not trying to be a diva here, but um, I need for you to uh, maybe be aware of what's going on. And when he heard that, he was devastated. He's like, I'm so sorry. I don't even realize it because I'm an autopilot when mm-hmm. those things happen. I had to remind myself I'm with someone, you know, I got to make sure they're taken care of and not treated badly. And so I said, yeah, just if somebody runs up and, and throws their camera in my face, can you just kind of set them straight a little bit and just say, hey, can you be a little nicer? This is my my partner, yeah. my boyfriend. Yeah. At the time we were boyfriends. And so um, anyway, so I, I appreciated the fact that he acknowledged that and and that was fine. And, you know, we, it, like I said, it was, it was but just, good for you too, for, yeah. you know, stepping up and, and ta- and having the open communication and, and right. Right. Know, well, and not just, just, and not just wanting to be like a sidekick of some sort, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Right. Oh, I just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure I was, uh, I was, um, taken care of respectfully, right. you know, not, not e- egotistically. Right. Right. And so I, um, so anyway, so we found our routine in those types of moments and, and I, um, you know, stepped in with him when I needed to. And I also wanted him to shine always, you know? And, and so I, um, I found, found, we found our groove and personally, and then we found our groove publicly and, um, and then uh, it was, uh, you know, kind of a, a new sort of chapter in my life. I, I never saw it coming, ever right. saw it coming. Um, well, that's also one of my favorite things about you because, you know, I've probably known you guys now for, I don't know, six, seven years. Obviously, everyone know, knew who Sean was. Right. But you guys don't come across as like, you just, <laughs> you talk about like, I mean, anything. It's not like an entertainment couple. It's just like super sweet, two guys talking and you're the nicest people ever. Like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This is kind of a strange, this is again, if you just try to draw the line it's, of my career, <laughs> it literally looks like, you but know. that, it seems exciting though. Like it's not just this boring linear, yeah. like you want. I mean, it's good storytelling. It's yeah, it's curveballs, things you don't expect, hopes, failures. Exactly, and and everything in between. Yeah, you know, I, I I have had my lows. Don't get me wrong; it's not been rosy all the time. But that's because I made the choice to do things, and it presented some hard times. Right. So, but I again, the figure out or. Uh, comes out in me and I, I just try to work yeah. through it and plow through to get to the end result that I want. So just the strange sort of link in the tree back to Ellen. Oh. When I was sitting outside of the producer's office 
uh, offices to go in and have my first meeting with them before I met Ellen. Sitting next to me in the chair outside of uh, that office was my now partner, Lior Rosner. Uh, he's my music producing partner. And he did all of the show music for Ellen. And was, So you guys were, were you auditioning for the same, he was going to be a DJ too? No. Oh. He was meeting because he oh. was the composer of the Got theme it. music for Got Ellen, it. the show, the bumper Does music. Does he remember your interview? He, he, well, he remembers us sitting next to right. each other. But we were sitting there and he was going to have his meeting uh, with somebody mm-hmm. and I was going to have my meeting and the offices that's were near crazy. each other. But that's where the little sitting area was. And so we're sitting next to each other and I just turned and I said, hi, I'm Scott. What's your name? He said, uh, hi, my name's Lior. And I said, what do you, do you work here at the show? He says, I do. Uh, I did all the music for the show. He has, I'm sorry, he has an accent, yeah, so I'm not right. <laughs> um, Give us your best impersonation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my name's Lior. I, uh, I did all the music for the show. <laughs> it's from Israel. <laughs> Pretty good. It's from Israel. Um, so this is 10 years diff. Yeah. Right? Back 11? 2000, math, right? This is 2003, you know, when, when I met him. I met him briefly outside, sitting in those two chairs right next wow. to each other. Wow. Now, that was the last time I ever saw him until um, I would say probably I saw him again in 2009. Uh, just randomly happened to see him. And then I reconnected and we exchanged numbers and, you know, just stayed in touch. Uh, so anyway, um, once I got back from New York, there were a couple of opportunities for uh, me because I was asked by uh, uh, Sean in one particular case. He was doing a new sitcom for NBC called Sean Saves the World. Saves the World, yeah. And, um, and so uh, he approached me and said, hey, do you want to throw your hat in the ring to maybe do the theme music or the music for the show or whatever? And I said, I'd love to. Um, was it because he was at that level after Will and Grace where he had like executive producer cre- or producer credit? So he had, yeah, he and, had, yeah, yeah, control. and and also his his production company, Hazy Mills Productions, was, was also producing Got the show. It. Okay, so uh, but obviously he had the most insight to the type of work I was yeah. I could do or have done and and had the skills to do, and so I said sure, and so. Um, it was it was one of the only times that I, I think I was asked by him to do something, uh, because once I went through that experience, I never I immediately said to myself I wanted to be self aware. I said I never want to be seen as oh you got it because of right, and I wanted it to be fair and I wanted it to be you know kind based of, on your merit yeah and your all talent. that stuff yeah. and some people are like oh that's so corny but I, look. They, there's something to be said. At all. Well, there's something to be said about that. Whereas there are lots of people in this town will use the people they want to use and will take yep. advantage of you because of this and that and the other. So I just said, look, I'm happy to give it a go. I said, would would you mind? He says there is someone else that's probably going to be submitting music as well. So I said, okay, cool. Can we do it anonymously? And so when you share it around to the people that have to decide. They don't know whose is whose. And I respect that, man. He said, yeah, totally. So that's what they did. And, um, and then, uh, as it turned out, uh, they loved the theme to it that I did. But the other guy got to do the in-show music, uh, okay. which I was totally fine with. I was like, oh, cool, awesome. Um, and so there was that little creak of the door that opened me now into writing something for TV. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, oh, gosh, wow, this is... Uh, 
this is a, this is literally a whole new world. Uh, you know, a little bit different. Like, than watch out, John Williams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was uh, very pleased of that opportunity, and um, and it was it was actually uh, on that theme song for Sean Save the World that I called Lior, and I said, Hey, Lior, uh, I'm I'm not a great whistler, but do you have a whistle? Uh, like, uh, like, can you whistle, or do you have a plugin that has a whistle that sounds real? Because I want to add a whistle to this theme song. So he contributed a little bit just with the whistling to that, and that was the first time we actually kind of worked Collaborated, on something together. Yeah. And so since then, that's uh, that's kind of been our thing. We've worked on almost uh, everything since then together. Um, so you also helped do the revival of Will and Grace when it came back. You kind of yeah. reworked their theme song. Yeah, so um, Jonathan Wolf, who was the original composer of the theme and all the music, mm-hmm. the piano, fast piano music, uh, he had retired. And so he was not around or available uh, when the show came back. And um, I was actually approached by uh, the producers, Max Muchnick and Dave Cohan, uh, to maybe retweak the theme. Um, and Sean didn't know about this. Oh, so wow. this is one of my more like, see, I told you so. I didn't get it because of Sean. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a moment that I w- really wanted to prove myself without any kind of help from Sean uh, in that regard because this was such a, a moment for, you know, to have the show come back, A. Right. And B, I saw this as a great opportunity. And after talking with Max Muchnick and Dave Cohan, I wanted to get Lior uh, involved with me on this and I'm glad I did because he brought such a great perspective that he has as a very successful composer and producer himself um, to where he brought some uh, live uh, musicians into what we were trying to do and basically what I was trying to do was I had when I was asked to do this I had sort of loosely polled a few people a few friends who were fans of the show I said, hey, do you remember the theme from, from Will and Grace? And a lot of, uh, every single answer I got was, I remember as the piano. Da, 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 right. You know, the piano thing. And, and, um, and this is, just for the record, not in any way, shape, or form any kind of uh, slam against Jonathan Wolf or anything. I, I say that, you know, sincerely. But what, what I was trying to do was, I realized we had a very short amount of time, unlike the time that sitcoms had back in the day where you had 30 seconds or even in cases up to a minute for the intro. So I needed something to resonate. I needed something melodically to live in your ear. And then after talking with Lior, I was like, you know, what if we take the chords of what Jonathan did and we just hit certain notes in that chord uh, to deliver our melody? So you know, Jonathan would go, you know, and I just went, and then Lior says, why don't we get a horn section to do it? And we'll get like some of the best horn players in town. And we got six, I think, you know, like everybody played for Phil Collins, Michael Jackson, and Quincy Jones. I mean, it was crazy. And we got this section together and we recorded it and then presented it to the producers and they flipped out they loved it so much and, and this is what eight seconds ten seconds it was I, I, we did a 15 second version yeah. which was cut down to seven and, and a half seconds and so uh <laughs> it's so just keep talking over yeah. The plane. Yeah, yeah so uh so we cut it down to about seven and a half seconds and that's what they heard and they loved it and um then 
in the room, um, Max says, I, uh, you, you, know, you guys are it. I want you guys to also do all the music in the show. And I said, oh, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I understood what he meant because now the show for the first time is being presented in HD and it's, the sound is like 5.1. Yeah, yeah. You know, so everything before was recorded left and right. RT, yeah. So, uh, so we wanted it to be a little richer and fuller. So we just kind of took the motif that uh, Jonathan had established and kept that whole piano thing going for as far as the end show music goes. So we just kind of continued what he established, which was perfect. I mean, it's totally sets the tone for the show and, and, uh, and that's how we sort of did our thing. I mean, I know that was such a big deal for you guys. And then I was actually lucky enough to come to the, I love Lucy episode mm-hmm. where you told me you were able to go back into the archives and get like the actual music, the original music, um, and kind of rework that whole episode, which was such a fun episode. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, it was really kind of fun. You know, the, guy, the producers from the get-go said that episode has to be um, as on point as possible, down to the costumes, to the... They, I think they actually got all the blueprints for all the sets. Sets, yeah. And recreated them from scratch. And um, as far as the music goes, we had some historical references, but we actually didn't have any sheet, sheet music at all. Oh. So what we had to do was... Watch old episodes? Watch old episodes really? and watch the uh, bits that they were recreating, listen to what uh, you know, the orchestra did for the show, and kind of re- not only sort of replicate it, but, but do it in our own way, mm-hmm. you know, melodically. So the melody is written by us. Uh, but have it sound like it was recorded in the 1950s. So yeah. we, we actually took a still from one of the episodes, and there was a, um, you know, we went through and counted all the musicians and recreated the entire orchestra exactly as it was back in the day. And we went to Capitol Records and recorded the theme song again for the first time since the show was on the air in the 50s. Uh, the song, I Love Lucy, which was sung by Desi Arnaz uh, in the show. Um, and we recorded that, and Eric McCormack did the lyrics for that. He sang it. And then we did all the in-show music that all sounded like it was I Love Lucy music. So Crazy. Anyway, so it was kind of so cool. Good. We now have, you know, the first official recordings of, of this music that hasn't been done with this precision. In 70 years. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. Damn. So obviously good work begets good work. So now you guys have... Yeah, what's coming up? What's, well, what's around um, the corner? <laughs> that's a, always a good question, yeah. uh, especially with uh, uh, anybody who does anything creative in this town. It's all gig to gig. So Lior and I had the uh, good fortune of being asked to work on a show called Q-Force, which is uh, an uh, animated action spy series for Netflix. And the log line is simple. It's gay James Bond. So um, uh, Sean is doing the uh, voice for the lead character. And um, there's a bunch of great other characters in the show. And basically what we're doing is sort of legitimate James Bond-like action spy music, but for a comedy. So um, I, I was so thrilled when, uh, when the uh, showrunner uh, of the show, Gabe Liebman, uh, said, I want the music to sound like a James Bond movie. Uh, you know, I, I want it to be serious. Uh, and I said, I couldn't agree with you more. I was hoping you were going to say that because I think it should be treated seriously so yeah. that the jokes right. can be the funny. Are yeah. funny. Right. Yeah. And the characters can be funny, but let us be real. And so we, you know, this was during COVID. All of it was done and recorded during COVID, which meant 
everything you hear musically is Lior and me. So, you know, we don't, we didn't have the luxury of being able to record with orchestras mm -hmm. or horn players or anything like that, unfortunately. Uh, but if there's a did season... You, did you dust off the trumpet? No, God, no. <laughs> did you pull I, out I, the old uh, 500, the Panasonic? I might have had to do a sample or two with yeah. that. Oh, no. Uh, no, uh, but, but it was really cool because uh, it really kind of put our chops, musical chops, to the test. Mm. And yeah. we got to really, really pull out every stop that we knew because we were doing this action spy music, but also it's, you know, gay James Bond. All the characters are gay. And it's basically about a, a you know, crackpot team of spies, this team that's based in West Hollywood, um, who are part of America's, you know, type CIA type company, but mm -hmm. it's it's something else in the show. And, um, and they're sort of thrown into West Hollywood because they're thought of as less than and can't do the job so but we got to keep them around because they got to be pc well it turns out that the crew is actually really great at what they do and they go on these great adventures and spies things and so we have a fun time you know doing not only the spy music but also in moments that are involving a gay dance circuit party i'm now back to my old dance music days throwing in dance music and then we're throwing in action strings and horns like a spy thing so all of that training comes full circle and force. pays off in q force yeah exactly I, i'm excited about it it all came out so great and and uh it's supposed to i think debut sometime this fall so awesome yeah um, well, what what um, what we've been doing traditionally now, as we kind of like wrap up, you know, podcast is uh, we ask all our guests one question, which is if you hadn't made it in the feature composing film world, I mean, obviously something still with music, probably, or as a DJ, or as a DJ, let's say it just didn't happen, or you got tired of it and you went, I'm done with this, I want to do something else. We just want to know what do you think that second or other path might be hmm. uh, connected to music or not. Yeah. Golden doodle trainer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, what would I be doing? I mean, I would probably be collecting uh, movie posters, spending way too much money on them um, and having nowhere to put them. <laughs> uh, so they'd just be in tubes under my bed. So collectibles. Um, collectibles. Okay. Uh, and I would be uh, probably working, at, you know, um, at a movie trailer house, oh. contributing stock music to a trailer because I'd still be able to kind of be in the world of, of entertainment in some weird way, but it would also involve trailers for movies that I probably really like and contributing music the way I know. Uh, and hopefully creating a product that still has an impact on people. When I thought you were going to say you're going to own your own, uh, like, AMC. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. possible. That's yeah. definitely possible. Right. So, yeah, I'd probably be doing that. Would you call yourself nostalgic? A thousand percent. Okay, cool. Yes. Just yes. some way with storytelling, somehow you would be doing something with it. I would, yeah. I yeah. like that. Very yeah. cool, buddy. Appreciate well, you coming on. Yeah, Thank let you. me do a quick uh, wrap-up here, and um, we'll get you out of here because I know you have stuff to do. Um, so for everyone who's uh, watching us on YouTube, uh, we appreciate you. Please hit that like or subscribe button because uh, that makes us both really happy and it helps us out. Um, uh, anything else you wanted to add? No, Tell I'm just sign off. Scotty, it's been a pleasure, buddy. Thanks please. for coming in. Thank oh my you. Gosh. Inspiration. Please. Inspiration. Uh, Scotty Isenogle. Did yes, we say sure. it correctly? Isenogle. Hey, Isenogle. Bottom of my heart, thank you for coming in, telling us about your journey, some of the mistakes, and some of the really brilliant plays. Best that you part made. about it, it wasn't like this. 
It yes. Wasn't. Like, that was the best part. Non-linear. I feel yeah. like it was a composition in a way. Just, uh, just <laughs> yeah. trying all kinds yeah, of like stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think that's it, everybody. Um, we, will, um, we will see you next week. And uh, everybody have a good weekend. Talk to you later.